Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Carmen LeBurge. It is the 27th of. October. I almost said November, but that didn't sound right. <clears throat> October. Um, I'm thinking about November the 29th because we're going to have a one-day winter fundraiser. And so I'm already getting kind of excited about that because we have so many fun things to um, to share toward the end of the year. And um, so anyway, but it's only October the 27th. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, what is today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day? Well, it comes from Matthew 7. That won't be a surprise um, to you if you've been following along in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. We arrive today at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 17. Jesus says, beware of false prophets. First of all, let's just pause right there for a second. Jesus tells us there are going to be false prophets. There are false prophets and there will be more to come. So beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. This is where, um, by the way, you get the whole wolf in sheep's clothing thought and idea. You can identify them, Jesus says, uh, by their fruit. So here's the good news. uh, The bad news is there are false prophets and there will be more of them. The good news is you can identify them. Like you have the capacity, the ability to identify them. How, you ask? Well, Jesus says by their fruit. That is, he goes on to say, by the way they act. He then says, can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. So again, Jesus is telling us here there are false prophets. There will be more of them. Jesus also tells us how to identify them by their fruit. And what is their fruit, you ask? Well, Jesus tells us that too. Their fruit is the way they act. So a good tree in this case, a good pastor, a good elder, a good deacon, a good Sunday school teacher, a good discipler of others. So a good Christian produces good fruit. And what is good fruit? Well, Paul offers us this list in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, And yes, he makes a list of bad fruit as well. So we would know what to be on the lookout for because if we're going to be able to discern the difference between good fruit and bad fruit and by that fruit identify whether or not we have somebody who is leading us authentically in the way of Christ or somebody who is a wolf in sheep's clothing, then we kind of need to know what the bad fruit looks like too. This is, you know, this is the fruit inspection part of it. So here's... um, And again, this is intended not to be a list that uh, encompasses everything. It's not meant to be exhaustive. It's meant to be illustrative. How do I know that? Because at the end of this list, Paul says, and things like these. So, and things like these, these are examples of bad fruit, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, 
rivalries or competitiveness, dissensions, divisions and divisiveness, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. By your fruits, you will know them, Jesus says. All right, in June, I mean, you know that nationwide there is a, there is a shortage of police officers, right? I mean, there may be a shortage of police officers in the community where you live. Um, I'm going to focus on California here for just a moment. In June, the San Diego Police Department started incentive programs to attract officers because they were facing a serious officer shortage. So they had uh, some 230 officers who left the force in fiscal year 2021, and they had more than 150 vacancies in June. And so the city council started these incentive programs to attract people who would um, become officers. In September, we learned that the city of San Francisco, where, by the way, you have a one in 16 chance, one in 16 chance of being victimized by a violent or property crime every year. Um, San Francisco is regarded as one of the most dangerous cities in the nation. Well, as of September, the San Francisco Police Department was short 525 officers on pace to be short nearly 900 officers by the end of this year. That's a serious officer shortage. Um, This month, the report is from California's capital city of Sacramento, where the police force is short 85 officers or 11 percent down in terms of um, proper staffing. That means that every 10th officer is alone when he or she should have a partner and every 10th call for backup goes unanswered. Now, uh, you would say, okay, well, uh, with officer shortages, maybe it's no surprise that crime is on the rise across the Golden State. And so you would think that the state, including the governor, would be making it easier to recruit and retain officers, right? Wrong. We're going to discuss that next with Ben Johnson. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. is my right, a right given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom. Ben Johnson is with us. He is a reporter and editor for The Washington Stand. He also tweets at The Rights Writer. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Carmen. All right, so... Talk with us about what's going on in California. Um, I mean, crime is on the rise. We've got uh, officer shortages across the state. Um, And yet it's not as if the state is um, doing much to to recruit or incentivize joining um, law enforcement efforts. In, In fact, quite the contrary. What's going on? Well, certainly quite the contrary for uh, certain groups, particularly those who are believing Christians. Uh, the the issue in particular stems from a few bills that were signed recently by Governor Gavin Newsom uh, having to do with police recruitment. One of them says that uh, you cannot belong to the police if you belong to what's known as a hate group. And uh, the way that the bill was finally written, AB 655, the, the term hate group was well-defined, that uh, you can't advocate for genocide, which we would agree with. However, the way the bill was originally written, there was no definition of the term hate group. Now, we know that uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center defines groups like Dr. D. James Kennedy's ministry as a hate group, an anti-LGBTQ hate group, allegedly. 
uh, Liberty Council, which advocates for religious liberty on behalf of practitioners of all faiths, is uh, one that is listed as a a so-called hate group. So that was concerning. But then there was another bill, and there have been a few uh, that have been signed as well, uh, where someone who is applying to become a police officer has to be screened already for a psychological evaluation. One of the things they will now check for is both explicit and implicit bias. Now, implicit bias, uh, for those who aren't familiar, uh, often uh, in these sorts of tests, for example, they will show two couples, uh, one uh, a traditional married couple and one uh, a a same-sex couple. And if the person has any reaction, even uh, subconscious, uh, sometimes they will uh, administer a polygraph test and see if they have a difference in the way of their heartbeats uh, or the way that uh, their breathing rhythm takes place. Then it will be said that they are guilty of implicit bias and they could be screened out of the applicant process. Um, the term bias, and there, there was a bill that was signed uh, back in 2020, SB2, uh, that would allow uh, the state to strip officers of their, of their badges if they were guilty of, quote, demonstrating bias. Uh, again, the term bias is not well defined, but where it is, it's really concerning. Uh, the auditor of the state put out a report where they had surveyed the top five uh, police departments statewide uh, including the one of the ones that you mentioned, and they they found issues and and uh, one of the things that they talked about was what they called disqualifying bias. One of the examples they used was referring to the uh, assistant secretary of HHS, uh, whose birth name was Richard Levine, as a man. So if you believe that someone who was born male uh, and and is still biologically male is a male then that could disqualify you from becoming a police officer in the state of California. Um, you know, Obviously, this has implications for people of faith. If you were to post a, a verse from the book of Genesis on your social media that says God created male and female, that could be considered bias against people who identify as non-binary, presumably. So obviously, this impacts people who believe in the traditional religion, believe in uh, what everyone essentially believed in, and the majority of people still believe in this country. Uh, it could bar you from serving and protecting other people, which is a problem because, uh, of course, not only is it uh, a faith-based form of discrimination by the state against Bible-believing Christians, uh, it sort of acts as almost an apartheid-style bar to keep Bible believers out of state employment in certain forms. But then those are the people you most want protecting you in the military and in the police because the same Bible that says God created male and female also tells us to treat people uh, as we would wish to be treated. It tells us that all people are God's children and all people are worthy of respect and a certain level of moral interaction. So, Ben, um, <clears throat> I recall uh, this goes back now, hmm, 20, uh, 2010, 2011. So it's just, this has been a number of years, more than a decade now. Um, I was uh, in a different position than I'm in now. And I was offering some public commentary about some things being taught to children in a particular um, denominational context. And I was concerned about that teaching. And I quoted from Matthew chapter 18 about uh, anyone causing a little one um, who believes in Jesus to stumble. And I simply said, you know, maybe it's time for a millstone, which is what the Bible verse says, like, right, it'd be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. I was not only investigated for, um, you know, uh, denominationally, for um, uh, suggesting that um, 
someone should have a millstone hung around their neck and be thrown into the sea. But actually, like the question of whether or not I had I was seeking to incite violence again, like physical violence against this particular person and mm. or the group, the group they were. And so I'm just saying this doesn't just go on in the public sphere. This goes on in denominational Christianity, where the Bible has become such an offense to people and the word of God such an offense to them that, uh, you know, that they that they would go so far as to disqualify people from positions of of leadership. In this case, you know, law enforcement in the culture. But I, I'm just I'm not this doesn't surprise me. It's it's so sad to me. And I am I feel sorry for people who um, are, are, you know, they're going to call 911 and nobody's going to come because there's no police officers. Um, and I feel sorry for business owners right. who are going to have to hire private, um, you know, private security. It's it, California is going to look like um, places where you have visited around the world where, you know, you are only allowed in to a store one at a time um, and and heavily monitored or you know, you say from the front of the store, which is completely closed, what item you want, and they bring it and they pass it to you through a, you know, through through bars, and that's how you that's how you buy things, um, because you won't be able to to trust the community where you live to police itself, um, because crime is going to be rampant, sin is going to abound when there is no strictures upon it, and so I just the whole thing just makes me so sad. But um, yeah, thank you for bringing us this story. We got to take a very brief break. We're going to continue our conversation with Ben Johnson in just a moment. Um, let's lift this up as a prayer concern, particularly for the people of California. Um, I mean, at some point, we got to come to our senses. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here, and we all need prayer. And, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com and then be assured of our prayers for you in the spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, we're talking with Ben Johnson. You can find what Ben is writing at WashingtonStand.com. You can also find him on Twitter where he tweets as the rights writer. Um, Ben, let's talk about what's going on uh, in schools. Uh, We have this high school football coach, Joseph Kennedy, um, who lost his job for praying on the field. Uh, He is going to be reinstated. Yes, uh, good news for Coach Kennedy. Of course, that's in uh, Bremerton High School in Washington State. Uh, he had been praying. It had been his practice for a very long time. Every game, win or lose, he would go out and kneel on the 50-yard line and thank God that no one was hurt. Uh, and he would he would simply give glory to God after every game privately as his own act of devotion. Well, several students decided they wanted to join him as well. And uh, he had done this for years. The school didn't have any issue until he'd been doing it for about uh, seven years, apparently. And uh, for the last seven years, there has been a, a series of court cases with finally ended up at the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court sided with him 6-3. The teachers don't have to give up their faith when they enter the schoolhouse door. They don't have to give up their faith when they're out on the field. 
that this truly is his own expression of faith, and he's not compelling, forcing, or even asking anyone to join him. So uh, he's going to be reinstated this coming March 15th, uh, back to his old job. It's a part-time job. Uh, he's currently living in the state of Florida. He's moving all the way to Washington State, which I think ought to show his dedication and devotion uh, to make a move that far and uh, out of one climate to another in order to get back with uh, the students that he loves and to serve the God that he loves and to express his faith privately. And uh, others uh, sometimes wish to uh, express their faith as well. But uh, he is not asking or compelling anyone to join him, and that is the constitutional dividing line. And his job is finally going to be restored after this long uh, battle that cost him uh, so much. It's it's good to see that uh, faith is going to be allowed to be practiced, and uh, hopefully this will encourage others to show their faith, again, in their own private sphere, not asking or compelling anybody else to join, but freely expressing their own faith even in uh, so-called public grounds, if it's public and it's open to the public, that should include people of faith as well. I'm also looking at some new um, research from Pew talking about um, parents and the view that parents have of education uh, in terms of uh, what kids are learning in K-12 schools across the country. Um, This says that a majority of parents um, across the political spectrum are actually satisfied with the quality of their children's education. I, I, I find that I find that pretty surprising. I do, too. You know, the thing that really struck me, this Pew Research poll, is how very much people across the spectrum agree uh, if, if you look at the numbers, they break them down by party, they break them down by various, uh, you know, male, female, uh, by uh, various different uh, uh, classifications, and almost across the board, everyone agrees on almost everything. Uh, so that's that's quite interesting. Uh, for the most part, they believe that uh, parents should have a greater say. Uh, no one believes that the government should have more influence than it does. Uh, no one of any background does. Uh, it's also interesting that uh, evangelicals are the most likely, white and black evangelicals and Hispanics are the most likely to believe that uh, people should be able to pray and exercise their faith in schools. But um, and, and that's something that those who are more secular in the study uh, overwhelmingly oppose. So there is a little bit of uh, change there. Otherwise, most people say that they're, it, it, it sort of strikes me as the same way that uh, when people ask about their congressman, their congressman is fine, but they don't like Congress as a whole. Uh, I, I think that you have a, a sort of a similar thing here where when people know the administrators and, and the teachers and they know what's being taught uh, in their local school, they tend to be satisfied. It's when you hear about things like CRT or um, extremist uh, uh, publications in school that are extraordinarily graphic or uh, uh, you know highly um, uh, charged uh, material that's being introduced uh, at very young ages – that's where people get concerned about the overall system. And those are very real concerns. So when those come up, uh, people everywhere are concerned. Part of my uh, my concern is that a lot of people are very happy because they don't know that these books, for example, might be in their local school library. Yeah, the um, the surveying here on uh, on prayer in particular, um, I did find very interesting. Hey, you guys, if you're looking for this, it's at pewresearch.org. The direct links are going to be in the show notes today, which obviously you can get at myfaithradio.com when the show is posted a little bit later as a podcast. Or if you are subscribed to the podcast, then wherever you get your podcast, you're going to get the show notes as well. 
Um, ben, thank you so much. You've got um, you've got a lot of good stuff um, that you're writing about as well. Want to spend um, just 30 seconds teasing up the article that you have there um, about uh, the president's support for youth transgender surgery? Yeah, uh, this was over a, a, a an Internet interview that took place over the weekend, uh, went viral, was with a lot of young people. Some of the people there identify as transgender. They asked him, uh, should people be able to uh, have laws that say you have to be an adult before you go through with certain kinds of injections of hormones or, or life-altering surgeries, uh, what are conventionally known as top and bottom surgeries, but which are permanent uh, and you know, some of which are sterilizing. They're certainly irreversible. And he said, no, I, as both a legal and a moral matter, that should not be allowed. I consider that to be immoral. And uh, so he, he believes it's immoral to prevent minors from making life-altering decisions uh, when we know from science that the brain is not fully developed until the mid-20s and uh, the maturation process takes place. We have testimony from people who have gone through the process, like Chloe Cole, who had uh, irreversible surgery when she was 15. She regretted it within a matter of months. She's now speaking out nationwide. About 80% of Americans believe that uh, minors should not be able to make this decision. They are not mature enough to do so. And uh, we have a number of moral and religious leaders who speak out about this. I quote them in my piece at the Washington Stand. But I think that most people would agree, uh, certainly from a biblical point of view, it's, it's impossible. God's created us a certain way, and we should embrace that. And we should do all that we can not to increase the confusion uh, or to increase the rebellion against God's order, but to do all that we can to help people, to walk with them, to hold hands with them, tell them that we love them and we are there to help support them, and to do all that we can uh, to to assure that uh, those who are struggling in this way know that they're loved, they're supported. Most of all, God loves them exactly the way that he created them. Mm. Amen. All right, Ben, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Let's take a moment for Upwards with Max Lucado. So many things divide us um, as a people. Are you interested to know... um, what concerns we actually share. Like, would you like to know what your neighbors are thinking? Um, I mean, I'm convicted. Every parent wants the best for their kids, right? I mean, every grandparent wants to see emerging generations thrive, right? I mean, we want our nation to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, don't we? We have a shared concern for every person, not just some people, right? Well, George Barna has been surveying Americans and studying the American culture for many years now. And he joins us next to talk about the values that unite a majority of Americans, what most Americans actually want in leaders. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Like the brightest sunrise waiting on the other side on the darkest night. What a joy to have George Barna back with us today. We're going to review some of the latest outcomes of um, of some values studies that he's been working on. You can find everything we're talking about today at ArizonaChristian.edu. George, welcome back. Oh, it's good to be back with you. Thanks for having me. All right. So this is an American values study report. First of all, tell us what the American values um, you know study is really looking at, and then walk us into some of the things that you've discovered. 
Well, you know, for several years now at the uh, Cultural Research Center, we've been studying worldview in America. And one of the ways that worldview becomes practical is by converting those beliefs and behaviors into a system of values. And, and together, all these things determine how we think and how we live. So we've looked at worldview. We wanted to look at what are the core values of Americans. So we studied 48 different values to determine what really defines Americans and how they choose to live and came up with an understanding of the ones that seem to be most common across the country. And I think it's an interesting blend of things that, that we discovered in the research. All right. So family tops the list. And I want to talk about that. Um, but, you know, you, you're going to give us kind of the scope of where we are in terms of a constellation of values that gives us a picture of what the real values of the American population are versus what the media might tell us or what um, social media might indicate. Yeah, I think it's a very different narrative because when you look at Americans' values, if we had leaders who understood those values and responded to them, I don't think we'd be having all these issues with unity. There is mm. so much common ground that we find in terms of America's values. And again, if this is what defines us, this is part of our personal DNA, and we find that that's common across the land, that should help to restore hope and trust in the fact that, well, it's really not about where our political leaders take us. It's about where we take those political leaders, the direction we point them in and what we hold them accountable to that ultimately is going to result in the unity of America. Yeah, I mean, you would often hear people describe something, you know, like American values, and you're helping us see what those American values really are based on um, how Americans actually live. Um, so let's talk about that. Family leads the list. What comes next? Well, after that, and by the way, with family, what that not only means is how we want to define it, but what we found is that the way we were measuring this, there was a five-point scale. People are willing to die to defend and protect their family. They're willing to fight to die, uh, to uh, protect and defend their family. They're willing to sacrifice precious resources for their family. So family, far and away, is the defining characteristic of American society. That's tops on the list. Following after that was happiness, which of course some people will remember is actually listed in the Constitution. This is something that, yes, we ought to be able to have the, the opportunity to pursue happiness. Americans still desire that. And then after that, there were a series of things like personal goodness was a, a category of values that we found there. Things like uh, uh, demonstrating good character, having integrity, personal responsibility. Those are top rated values. Things like personal maturity, having a sense of purpose in life, wanting to continually be growing as an individual, working hard to get what you uh, possess in life. Uh, those were top values. And then there were also things related to freedom and reliability. So when you put all those together, it's a very different narrative, a very different portrait that gets painted of Americans than what you b would believe about the divisive country that uh, at least the mainstream media keeps claiming that we are. Yeah, I don't hear individualism. I don't hear diversity. Um, I don't even hear equality, necessarily. Um, I don't even hear liberty. I mean, family, happiness, personal goodness, as characterized by character, integrity, and personal responsibility, maturity, 
um, as characterized or including purpose, continual personal growth and hard work, freedom, justice, independence, and uh, property ownership, which I might think about as wealth accumulation, personal wealth accumulation, and then reliability, stability, trustworthiness, and kindness. Um, That is a different list than I think if we were just trying to understand what American values are based on looking at what secular media is telling us, we would be led in a very different direction. So I think this is really, really helpful. Hey, we're talking with George Barna. We're talking about the American Values Study. This is the first of what will be a series of reports. And we're talking about, you know, American values um, and the possible means, uh, you know, that that provides for us to national unity. There are a lot more things that we have in common with one another and hold in common um, than you might think. So, George, how does um, how does this compare with the core values of the population, let's say, in colonial America? Yeah, that was interesting for me to dive into. A few years back, David Barton, the Christian historian, and I uh, went through a lot of colonial era documents trying to figure out what were the driving values of colonial America. Back then, unfortunately, the Gallup survey wasn't operating, so we couldn't just turn to those numbers. You know, but we dug into all the documents, you know, what was taught in sermons, what was taught in public schools, what was discussed in public meetings, uh, what were the political leaders of the day pushing in terms of values of the country. And when we put all that together, we came up with a top 10 list of values of colonial America. When we compare that to today, what we find is that we still have about half of those values in common. Now, we've lost some values, things like civic duty, faith, rule of law, simplicity. Those were vitally important to colonial America and helped America to become a thriving, successful, enduring nation. But when you look at the ones that uh, we we still have in common, things like family, financial cautiousness, hard work, humility, moderation, I believe, Carmen, those are important because – they pretty much depict the DNA of America. These are values that have lasted 250 or more years and helped to define the population even today. So I would say if, if I were a political leader, if I were some kind of a, a leader in our culture today, I'd be trying to figure out, okay, how do I embody those leaders, not only in who I am as a leader, but also in the things that I'm promoting for our society, because that's really part of the heartbeat of what makes America, America. All right. Describing uh, the DNA of America, the things that we really do hold in common. That's what the conversation um, is covering. We're also going to delve into, well, you know, if we were going to have a vision for who we're going to elect to government service, what, what kind of leaders might we want based on who we really are as a people. That conversation up next with George Barna. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. 
All right, picking up where we left off with George Barna. We're talking about the American Values Study. You can find it at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, or you can find it in today's show notes as well at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, George, we have talked about what you guys have discovered in terms of, you know, a core set of values that we hold in common. What do you think that tells us about the kind of leaders we're ready to elect here in America? Well, it's interesting because we look specifically at that in relation to these values. And what we find is that we're longing for leaders who have integrity, character, and they look at public service rather than holding public office. There's a difference mm. there. Mm-hmm. Because what, what the people are saying they're looking for are people who have integrity and character, and they're taking that into this role of government employee, elected leader, whatever it may be, with the idea of it's a privilege for me to hold this job because I get to serve the people as opposed to what most Americans perceive government leaders to be thinking, which is that (laughs) now I have this position, the people are at my beck and call and I can spend their money however I want. That's not what the American people are looking for. So it was kind of interesting there. They want a government that's going to uh, protect and expand individual freedom that's going to promote stability and maybe most of all who's going to take care of their family. Yeah, the family, um, the, the that value of family, if I'm going to run for political office, let's say, I need to be constantly asking the question, how does this, um, you know, touch on what I know to be the primary value of every American, and that is what's going on in their family. Um, I also appreciated that, you know, we really do desire candidates who are like hardworking, problem-solving servant leaders. That seems to be like at Mm -hmm. the core of what we're looking for. And and they want them to be good people. 75% of Americans said that they want leaders who are going to model kindness understanding, peace, and unity. Hmm. And so they don't want leaders who are going to, for instance, be running negative ads about their opponents. That They want leaders who are going to be running because they have a strong moral base. They have positive family-oriented values. And they're willing to explain those things. See, I think this is something else that uh, many of the people in your audience need to keep in mind when they go to vote is that they've got to think about, but what did this person say about family? What what do I see about their family? What kind of legislation and policies have they backed or rejected related to family? That's going to be a key thing to be looking at. And so when we do our homework about candidates, that's one of the things that should be on the list. All right. So this is going to be a, a, a bit of an inarticulate question. So we don't want socialism. All right. We don't want government. Uh, it, we don't want government interference into everything. And this particular note about health care, I found very interesting um, because if we have this preference that government not be particularly involved in our health care, 73 percent. So nearly nearly uh, three quarters of American adults express their belief that the broken healthcare system can be fixed by getting the government out of the process and allowing doctors and patients to make the relevant decisions. So we had a whole generation, though. I mean, I'm thinking here of Obamacare, where we have moved in the direction of government being more and more and more and more and more in control of every part of our healthcare. And then we have the Dobbs decision when all of a sudden everybody wants government completely out of healthcare. 
You know, I, I think what's happening is that we are seeing kind of an old axiom put into practice, which is people only change, or sometimes we could say they really only speak up loudly when they're in enough pain. Hmm. And I, I think we're in a situation in America now where after two years of the, almost two years of the current administration and being shocked at how quickly things have changed and even more importantly, the direction into which things are moving, people are feeling pain. They're feeling pain economically, they're feeling it relationally, they're feeling it professionally, all kinds of ways in in terms of uh, their faith and whatnot. And so they're starting to wake up and say, you know what, it's not such a great idea for this bumbling bureaucracy to have a bunch of elites who think they're smarter than us, know better than us, and are willing to steal our resources and make choices for us. We ought to make those. That's what made America great. If I go back to my core values, what I want are people who are there to serve me, not not to enslave me. And so I think this is part of that transition that's now happening in people's minds and hearts of saying, you know what, maybe we don't need as much government as at one time we may have thought we needed. But certainly we're seeing it proven before our eyes that government is not the solution, as Ronald Reagan would have said, it's actually the problem. So, again, we're talking with George Barna. Um, We are talking about the American Values Study. Uh, First couple of reports here from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Um, Hey, I really appreciated uh, knowing that everybody doesn't want to tear it all down. Like some societal stability is actually still desired. When, when, um, what'd What'd you learn about this? Like, right, there are some things we want to tear down, but we don't want to tear it all down. They don't want it to be torn down. They do want stability. They want consistency. They want predictability. Uh, They want leaders who are forward thinking so that we're not always trying to come up with dramatic last minute solutions. They want essentially, and this is one of the core values that came out, moderation. They don't want radical changes. They don't want a whole new system. And so a lot of the things that the radical changes that we're hearing about in our culture today, uh, you know, whether it's unconstrained sex, uncensored entertainment, universal empowerment, uh, tearing down all the structures and hierarchies of our society, people are saying they don't want that. They believe that the system is not broken. It's just being abused by people who have gotten into office and are using it for their own benefit more than for the benefit of the general public. That's a really key revelation. I think it's important for Americans to recognize if that's what they believe, and chances are it is, they're not alone in that. Now, why don't they understand that? Because they'll never hear that from the mainstream media, because that's not part of the narrative that helps to promote these radical changes. But when Americans recognize, you know what, there's already a foundation of unity among us, and that's that we want stability, predictability, moderation, We want the system to work as the founding fathers planned. That's an important thing for us to grab onto and say, okay, those are the kind of leaders that we need to elect. I love the list um, of what we want in an ideal government. Um, So listen to this right now and say, hey, I think I'm in that group. You're going to be really glad to know that 75% of Americans um, say that their ideal government would be protective of religious freedom for all Americans strengthen the economy by lowering taxes, creating desirable jobs and helping small businesses, maintaining a strong global presence by bolstering the military, 
and clearly defining what Americans what America stands for, protecting freedom wherever it is threatened. Um, 67 percent preventing uh, big tech companies from ignoring the law by censoring free speech or distorting information and canceling law abiding citizens, Um, having the courage and commitment to the law to deport violent criminals who are not U.S. citizens Uh, and 65 percent investing government resources in facilitating the personal growth of Americans. Um, George, this is encouraging. If that's people's sense of what they want in an ideal government and more than 65 percent of those surveyed answered yes to those as the qualities of an ideal government, then maybe things aren't as bad as I'm led by secular media to believe. You know, Carmen, I'll I'll confess, with a lot of the research that I've done, it has not been terribly encouraging. This may be the most encouraging survey I've done in years because it reminds me or enlightens me as to the real heart of the American people. And it's not nearly what I've been led to believe by all the the pundits and commentators about how America's going down the tubes. You know, the people just want the government to take care of them. They feel entitled and whatnot. Now, I will say there are differences across generations. There are differences across ethnic groups. So this isn't uniform, but this is the majority point of view at every group that we looked at, even liberals, even Democrats. So you might say, well, yeah, it's still going to be a tough battle. Well, I think it's because we're uneducated about what we really believe as a nation. We know what we believe individually, but we tend not to talk about it often because we think, oh, gosh, people are going to laugh at me. They're going to make fun of me. It's going to be embarrassing. It probably won't be. You might find that people are going to come up and say, I feel that way, too. I didn't know other people felt that way. I think this is one of those great moments in American history where we might be awakened to who we actually are and therefore be willing to fight for it. All right. The um, the research that we're talking about today, you can find it uh, at culturalresearchcenter.com. It's done in, in cooperation and collaboration with America's One, and you can find them at americasone.com. George, as always, it's a delight to have you on with us. Thanks so much, Carmen. Absolutely. That's George Barna. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for all the interaction uh, on the text line this morning. Remember, you can text me uh, anytime during the show, 877-933-2484. Tim says, hey, I was reading this survey, and it raises a lot of concerns for me about college students feeling that free free speech can be suppressed if the content um, doesn't match their views. Yeah, so this is a survey of collegians um, related. Uh, so it was on behalf of the William F. Buckley Jr. program at Yale University. And um, it really was an effort to examine um, intellectual diversity on campus and political discourse on campus and how well our um, college students across the country are engaging one another, even on um, polarizing issues hopefully without using, um, you know, such tactics that would suppress the viewpoints of one another. But actually, um, uh, an astonishing percentage of them agree with this statement. So somewhere between 38 and 48 percent 
of college students surveyed agreed with this statement. In some cultures, some types of offensive speech even merit the death penalty. Some speech can be so offensive in certain cases it merits such harsh punishment. So we're not just talking about um, the majority of students believing that there are certain issues that um, administrators or professors should prohibit from being discussed or debated on campus. That's a, that's, that's a majority who agree with that. Um, and, and more than half also um, say that sometimes it's appropriate to shut down or disrupt a speaker on campus. But astonishingly, somewhere between 38 and 48 percent think that, you know, some things that you say might be worthy of the death penalty. Some things that you say might be worthy of the death penalty. Um, which takes me to something happening um, at my alma mater, which is the University of Florida, where Senator Ben Sass is the only candidate to serve as the next president of the University of Florida. And October the 10th, on October the 10th, he was um, fielding questions at a student Q&A, which a group of student protesters um, started beating on the windows um, and made their way forcibly into the room beating on desks and picking up chairs and smashing them onto the floor in a rhythmic manner, um, obviously making it impossible for um, Ben Sass to continue the Q&A. Um, and so that particular um, forum ended, and then a faculty forum, which was to be held following that, um, was moved from an in-person event online. So the Board of Trustees of the University of Florida will be meeting on November the 1st to consider the nomination of Ben Sass to serve as the next president of the University of Florida. And protest, I mean, the university is already facing, um, you know, the, the, the promise of protest. And so that's going on, um, you know, at one of our premier universities uh, in the country. What, what do you think in terms of free speech on college campuses and um, institutions of higher education, you know, being places where there should be a free exchange of ideas, where iron should sharpen iron, where ideas should be brought into the marketplace. I mean, this is the marketplace of ideas, right? That's what a university is supposed to be. Um, and, you know, and the, where the best idea wins, not the person who can smash a chair against the uh, against the floor and scream and disrupt um, and bang on the windows to keep someone from being heard. Like, what is that even? I mean, if your kid is doing that, like, you need to intervene. Like, yeah. So uh, anyway, all kinds of things going on there. Um, all right. What unites us and what divides us? Those are good things to be thinking about today and considerations. Um, the, you know, we are a people possessed of the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. Right. And so let us not be a people who are just following the spirit of the age. Let us be people who are genuinely following step by step the spirit of the Lord. Let us be people sowing peace, not division. Remembering that we're going to reap what we sow. If you don't like the harvest of unrighteousness around us, then let's be cultivating the culture. Let's be culture gardeners. Let's dig it up where necessary. Um, but let's be people who are sowing the word of God into our everyday conversation that God might bring unto himself a harvest of righteousness. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.